Welcome in, everybody, to episode 146 of the podcast that is sweeping America, the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Okay, wild turn of events. So it is Saturday night. It is about 7.50. I'm actually heading in to do Fox Sports Radio here in a little bit. I never record this show on Saturday. I usually record Sunday, but this week I'm traveling, wanted to make sure I had a show for you on Monday morning. Out of the blue, I decide, you know what? I know nothing about horse racing, but just to be safe, let me wait until after the Kentucky Derby to record this show. So I sit down, I watch the Derby, maximum security wins, and I shut off the TV to prep this show to give to America because this is the podcast that's sweeping America, and I knew you needed a show for Monday. I turn the TV back on, and I see these horse racing people at a monitor. Instant replay in horse racing. Who knew? Who knew such a thing existed? And so I don't claim to be a horse racing expert. I would have never talked about the Kentucky Derby under any other circumstances, but we had legitimate controversy. Country House wins. Maximum security disqualified. I will get to that in a minute. Uh, Also wrap up this dumb FBI trial. I know you guys are tired of hearing about it. Uh, And I will wrap also Sean Miller, Arizona, reportedly under investigation. That's a bogus thing, which I will explain in a minute. I should also mention on the back end, I've been teasing this for a while. I've told you guys, make sure, make sure you go watch the new Netflix show Losers and the episode about Michael Bent, a former heavyweight champ. I interviewed Michael Bennett a few weeks ago. I found his story fascinating. I know it's different than what I normally do. I know I normally stick to hoops. Sometimes I'll talk a little college football. I've obviously never done boxing on this show before, right? But Michael Bent is a fascinating character for people who haven't seen the show. He was one of the top up-and-coming fighters early in his career. Um, He gets knocked out in his first pro fight after this storied amateur career. He almost retires, comes back, ends up going all the way to being a heavyweight champ, ends up getting knocked out as the heavyweight champ. He wins the heavyweight championship, fights one more time, gets knocked out, and his career is over. He's not allowed to fight again because of harm and injuries, etc., etc., and he ends up in this wild turn of events becoming... um, like a movie guy. He now is the boxing trainer to Clint Eastwood in Million Dollar Baby. He was the boxing trainer for Will Smith in Ali. And so he's got this wild story. And I told you guys to watch the show. And I interviewed him. And this is a wide-ranging interview. It's a long interview. It feels like almost like a Joe Rogan kind of deal, right? Joe Rogan does these interviews that go for two or three hours at a time. This one went for like an hour. And we talk about his whole career. We talk about being raised to be this boxing prodigy, getting knocked out, the the embarrassment of being knocked out. And the interview goes in a lot of different places, okay? So Michael Bent is following up me in this show. Again, I don't normally do this, but I found him to be so compelling uh, that I really wanted to sit down with him. I did. I had a blast. And again, to be clear, the interview is one, it's really long. So please give me feedback. If you like it, if you don't, you can be honest. If you don't like it, that's fine. But he's got an incredible story, an incredible background, and I would add we go to some very serious places, okay? So if you have uh, children in the car or you're not comfortable with them hearing certain things, this might be the one to sit out. Um, He talks about a lot of really serious stuff. And again, 
I would turn down the volume right now if you have children in the car. But, you know, he talks about being suicidal. He talks about um, very serious things, but it was a great interview. He really opened up. I had a blast. Uh, as we get into the summer and we kind of get away from basketball season, I do hope to do a little bit more. Some people that maybe aren't directly involved in basketball, but people that I find interesting. So Michael Bent will be the first one of those and hopefully so much more. So that is the rundown for today's show. We're going to talk a little Kentucky Derby, a little bit of FBI trial, and then we are going to wrap and I'm going to throw to Michael Bent for what should be a lengthy but really fun interview. All right, before we get started, I want to remind everybody, please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. By the way, I should mention, last episode, PJ Washington. If you haven't listened, make sure you go back and listen. PJ Washington joined me on the last episode prior to his final signing in Lexington. He is now getting ready for the NBA draft. We talked about last season, his health, his thoughts on the 2019-2020 Kentucky Wildcats. Really fun interview with PJ. So if you missed that, make sure to go back and listen. But you shouldn't have missed it because you should be subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Please make sure you're subscribed. iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, I know I just said Podcast Addict. For people who don't know, that is the app. If you have an Android, go to Podcast Addict, download it. You can get all your favorite podcasts, including this one, on the Podcast Addict app. Also, please make sure to rate and review the show. So many of you have done that. I so very much appreciate what you guys are doing as far as giving me those five-star ratings. It does help us move up the charts. And also make sure to follow me on Twitter, at Aaron underscore Torres. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast. All right. So the Kentucky Derby. So this thing was insane, okay? So I'm not going to claim to be any horse racing aficionado. I'm not going to claim that I know the difference between a good this and a bad this and a, a, a whatever. I'll be honest. Before Saturday, I didn't even know there was such a thing as instant replay in horse racing, only here we are, Saturday afternoon, I have the Kentucky Derby on, I'm prepping to do this podcast before I go in to do Fox Sports Radio, I see maximum security wins, I see there's a lot of buzz on maximum security, I have no idea if he's a good horse or a bad horse or whatever, I see he wins, I turn it off, I start getting ready for this show. What happens? What happens? I tune the TV back on, and I put it on mute for a second. And I see just a lot of people standing around. And again, I don't claim to be a horse racing expert. I mean, I live near Santa Anita. Uh, I've been to the Preakness, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know, you know, secretariat from maximum security, from minimum security, from whatever. I don't, I don't know horse racing. And so slowly but surely, then I eventually go back on social media and I see that there's controversy. I see that they're in instant replay and they may overturn the ruling in the Kentucky Derby. I never heard of that. I didn't know it was possible. How do you change a horse? First of all, how is there a violation in horse racing? They're horses. They're not actively trying to cheat. This isn't, uh, uh, I'm not going to go there, but I was going to say, this isn't uh, Will Wade allegedly on a wiretap. This isn't Sean Miller allegedly on a wiretap. These are horses. They like to eat grass and chill out. They don't know if they're cheating or not. So I tune on this thing. I turn it back on. And there is real controversy, and eventually, they end up changing the ruling 
Country House wins the Kentucky Derby. It's the first time ever that they have changed a ruling in the end, or I believe it was second time ever. I don't even know. The first one was like 1963, but it wasn't the same deal. The first time, I believe, the, the horse eventually failed a drug test. But this time, they literally overturned the final ruling of the Kentucky Derby. And I got to say, I don't claim to be a horse racing expert. I'm not. Uh, I don't fully understand what happened. But I will say this. First of all, I want to apologize to all the maximum security betters. I know there were a lot of you out there. I know because probably two or three people hit me up. Can you believe what happened? I'm like, well, I, I can't really believe what happened because I didn't know this was even possible. Um, so sorry to all the maximum security betters. I know there are probably a lot of you listening right now, but I don't know what to say. I will say I did enjoy some of the commentary on social media. You know, social media at times, it can be a dark, scary place. People are mean. People are mean to me all the time. But there are times that it's really funny. Like today, Saturday, during this Kentucky Derby, I mean, the number of people that were just like, oh, Roger Goodell. Oh, I wonder what the Saints fan are the Saints fans going to sue anyone over this? I mean, I may have thrown in a, uh, you know, in defense of maximum security, and I did tweet this in defense of maximum security. This was literally only the 37th most controversial thing or most sketchy thing that's happened in Louisville over the last couple of years. Who can blame maximum security? Louisville's the home of Rick Pitino. How can we get mad at maximum security? So internet was fun. I feel ba bad for betters. And I guess the only other real thing that I would have to say about this result, like I'm not saying I'm a horse racing expert. It feels like it was the right decision though. I mean, again, I'm no expert, but the horse racing did, uh, the, horse, the horse did cut out in front of country days, country house. I've been, I think I'm going to call them country home on one point in this podcast already. So I'm all over the place on this horse racing stuff. But what I would say is very simply this, is that I don't claim to be an expert, but it did look like they got it right. And it did look like maximum security cut in front of country house and impeded his path. I mean, I don't know what the technical verbiage terminology is, but it does feel like if this is a rule in place, then it is the right rule. Now, I'll be honest, I thought it was like NASCAR. I thought kind of the point of the race was to kind of swerve in and out and make sure that you ha you maintain the lead. And like, that's a big part of NASCAR strategy. And I'm not a NASCAR guy either, but like, that's a big part of the strategy is, you know, you're trying to not only win the race, but you're trying to box out your competitors. Only there was Country House getting boxed out by maximum security. And next thing you know, Country House is your Kentucky Derby champion. So I apologize to all of you uh, who bet maximum security. I hope everybody got a good laugh out of, uh, you know, some of the stuff on social media. But. What I'll say is this, as somebody who knows nothing about horse racing, like I guess it was the right call. It seemed like it was the right call, and I was texting my horse racing buddies, including Nick Roush from KSR, and I was told that while, yeah, bumping is part of the race, there is a fine line, and it appears as though maximum security crossed that line. And so if that's the case, I'm going to trust all the other horse racing aficionados. If you think that I'm wrong, by the way, you can go ahead and tell me. What I'll do, by the way, next next episode, I'll either get Nick Roush from Kentucky Sports Radio on the show 
to to actually like talk because Nick Nick Coffee was uh, Nick Roush is like the only person I know who like really understands horse racing. And Nick Coffey was actually at the race. So Nick Coffey, for those of you who listen regularly, joins me regularly. Unfortunately, because I had to record Saturday, uh, there wasn't much I could do in terms of getting Nick Coffey on the phone. So I will have one of them on in the next episode to try and explain everything because I'll be honest, I'm really, really, really confused. But based on what I could see, based on the fact that I didn't even know there was instant replay in horse racing until, I don't know, about 90 minutes ago, uh, I think they got it right. And so con- congrats to Country House. I'm sorry to the Maximum Security betters. I'm sorry to Maximum Security. Uh, I'm told that his stud fees are going to go way down now. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. Somebody can explain it. By the way, if you have any thoughts or opinions, you can always hit me up at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. You can kind of share uh, what your personal thoughts are, all that kind of stuff. I think I'm also going to set up a an email account where you can send in questions and maybe Nick Coffee and I or myself or whoever will answer questions on the show. So we are going to set up a, uh, I think we'll set up in the next few days, a um, an email where you can send in your questions. As a matter of fact, I actually set one up last week and I didn't think I could find it on time. If you have any questions, comments that you want read on this show, we're going to do like a reader, a listener mailbag or whatever. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast or Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Hit me up there, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Get your question read on air. We can talk college hoops. We can talk transfers. We can talk recruiting. We can talk horse racing. You can talk NBA playoffs. Whatever you want to talk about, send it in, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. All right. Uh, I want to do about five minutes, seven minutes on this FBI trial. I don't even know if we'll get that far because here's the bottom line. Since we last spoke, nothing new has come out. And if you listen to last episode, you know that I am a firm believer in something very simple. And I've said this many times over the last couple episodes. This hasn't changed, so I'll just stick with it. I don't believe that Sean Miller, I don't believe that Will Wade, I don't believe that many people involved in this trial are upstanding, good quality citizens, good quality NCAA abiding guys. Like I think they break rules. But I've said it all along, nothing has happened in this investigation that is definitive enough to either fire Sean Miller or Will Wade. As a matter of fact, I tweeted it out the other day and I got Kansas fans really mad at me. I still think we've learned more in these trials in terms of actual evidence that proves that Bill Self may have known about an FBI or about a payment to a player, Silvio D'Souza, than we have proof that Sean Miller or Will Wade did. Now, I know a lot of people, they saw that headline, oh, Book Richardson, the assistant coach at Arizona, says, said on a wiretap that Sean Miller pays DeAndre in $10,000 a month. I'm not saying that couldn't be correct. I think a lot of people have told me two things. They've said, one, you know, my whole argument is I don't think you can use a casual conversation on the phone between two people that don't know they're being recorded as actual proof of anything. Because the way that I look at it is very simple. When you're talking to your buddies, you say all kinds of crazy stuff. Oh, dude, I must have had 30 beers last night. I got so hammered. You didn't really have 30 beers. Oh, dude, she was so into me. She loved me. She was all on me. Bro, she wasn't on you. Stop. 
And so that's kind of how I see this. Now, did Book Richardson maybe have some intel that maybe DeAndre Ayton was doing something uh, or, or Sean Miller was doing something to take care of DeAndre Ayton? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's certainly possible. But let's, let's, like, let's break this down in the most fundamental sense. One, have you ever, ever heard of a head coach paying for a player out of his own pocket? I mean, have you ever heard that? Because I'll be honest, I've been covering college sports for like 15 years now, dating back to my college days. I've heard of all kinds of NCAA rules violations in football, in basketball, payments, uh, cars, housing, housing for parents. I have never once heard of it coming from the head coach. Go back to the Reggie Bush stuff at USC, Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, uh, Louisville, all those scandals at Louisville. Head coach was never involved. And so you have that element of it. You have the fact that the NCAA investigated DeAndre Ayton and interviewed DeAndre Ayton multiple times. They came up with nothing. DeAndre Ayton didn't miss a single game. You add in the fact that Christian Dawkins, first of all, the whole concept of this conversation doesn't even make sense because Christian Dawkins claims that he's so close with Sean Miller that Sean Miller wants him to move to Tucson to run DeAndre in stuff. So why does Christian Dawkins need information from Book Richardson? Because Christian Dawkins said on a separate wiretap that he's so close with Sean Miller that Sean Miller wants him to move to Arizona. So why is he getting information from Book Richardson? It makes no sense. And so I'm only using the, because we all saw the headline this week, right? On a wiretap, Arizona assistant coach says Sean Miller was paying $10,000 a month to DeAndre Ayton. I'm not saying it couldn't have happened. I'm just saying we have no proof other than two dudes talking on a wiretap. And so to, to answer, so many people have asked me, well, what's going to happen? I don't think anything's going to happen. I'll take it a step further. I was at the Pac-12 tournament in March, and I had people saying to me, so Sean Miller's gone, right? Like, this is his last game, right? Like, he's never coaching again, right? Like, I think it just depends on what comes out in the FBI trial. And I, know, I understand the concept that there's a lot of circumstantial evidence but I also understand this. If Arizona fires Sean Miller and they don't have proof, he has an $8 million buyout. That's a lot of money to pay to a coach to not coach you. And then if you're Arizona, you got to go out and get somebody good. You're going to pay them $2 million a year. I just don't think Arizona's willing to pay $8 million a year to Sean Miller to fire him without cause. And so I don't think enough has come out in this trial for Sean Miller to get in trouble. I don't think enough has come out for Will Wade to get in trouble. And again, I'm not saying these guys are totally salt of the earth great guys. I'm just saying, as I've said for the last two weeks, we still don't have anything that directly implicates them. I do want to say one thing before we get to Michael Bent. There was a report that came out on Saturday, um, ESPN. You know, I'll just say this. ESPN has taken a lot of L's when it comes to, when it comes to the Arizona situation. So if you remember... Early on in this whole situation, there was the original wiretap. This was the original fake wiretap, right? ESPN, big bombshell, report that Sean Miller is on the phone agreeing to pay $100,000 to DeAndre Ian. Just one problem. That wiretap didn't exist. ESPN didn't have its facts straight. And so because of it, because of it, 
Sean Miller kept his job. That was when he had that big uh, press conference, I've never knowingly paid a player, I've never knowingly done anything against NCAA rules, blah, 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 this and that, and that's how he kept his job. So now ESPN takes another L. Now, I won't say it's as bad, but on Saturday, there's this big headline. The NCAA has launched an investigation into Arizona's basketball program. Uh, a university confirmed, you know, university confirmed. Just one problem. You think the NCAA waited until, first of all, a Saturday in May? This FBI trial started, the, the, the FBI investigation started in September of 2017. It's May of 2019. Do you really think the NCA waited this long to start investigating Arizona? And so this so this is the deal with ESPN. They screwed up another report on Arizona. And Arizona had to come out with a statement on Saturday which basically said, "Hey, we've actually been getting investigated for a while." And the statement reads in quote the University of Arizona is correcting recent inaccurate media reports. Any reports stating that the NCAA has either started or launched a new investigation at the University of Arizona are entirely false. To be clear, we will continue to cooperate fully with any NCAA proceedings in the best interest of the university and the men's basketball program. So I can't lie. Arizona just taking us, just taking, it's almost like one of those cartoons, you know, where they, they, one cartoon guy hits the other one over the head with a, with a little mallet or something. Like that's what Arizona's doing to ESPN right now. Like ESPN keeps coming out with these reports and they're inaccurate. So this investigation has been going on at Arizona forever. It's been going on. I think it, there, there's been a new one in the past three or four months. This isn't new news. And so, I'll get off Arizona, I'll get off the FBI stuff. I think all you guys are tired of hearing about it, but this isn't new news. And I will say in defense of Arizona, like the NCAA was out there two seasons ago when DeAndre Ayton was on the team. So the NCAA has basically been investigating Arizona for like two years, separate NCAA investigations. And as of right now, they still haven't come up with anything. So this, this, this report comes out this is not a new investigation for Arizona. They've been under investigation, and it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. I'll tell you this, if I'm a rival Arizona fan, if I'm a UCLA fan or a USC fan hoping that Arizona gets hit with the hammer, I don't think it's going to happen. And you know why? Because outside of the initial report from back in September of 2017, when an Arizona assistant coach was arrested on bribery, that guy confessed and pled guilty to bribery. Nothing has come out with Arizona breaking NCAA rules. And I would add this too. The player that that coach was trying to bribe was Javon Quinterly. And Javon Quinterly never played at Arizona. So yeah, maybe the kid and his family took a little money to go there. But I don't even know that you can prove that. You know why I don't know you can prove that? Because Javon Quinterly was never ineligible. He went to Villanova last year and played for Villanova. So if you're looking to hammer Arizona, well, the NCAA has been investigating for a couple years. The FBI was on them for like two years. All they came up with so far was a alleged payment or an alleged, the, the assistant coach accepted money to pay a recruit. That recruit has since been cleared by the NCAA. So I don't really know anything that's going to happen, but I wanted to kind of just set that up. There really is nothing new to report with this Arizona stuff. I, I think that people kind of freaked out when it said the NCAA is launching a new investigation into Arizona. All right, so as I mentioned, a little bit of a more succinct, brief episode of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. 
And that is all for right now. So we're going to keep it short today. I'll get back Nick Coffey later this week to talk about this Kentucky Derby thing because I am amazed. I can't believe that this thing ended the way it did. I know I've said it a few times. had no idea there was replay in horse racing. Unbelievable. I can't believe it. But that is all for today's this segment of today's show. I am now going to turn it over to my interview with Michael Bent from a couple weeks ago. Michael Bent, former heavyweight champion. Again, to reiterate for people that are kind of confused, why am I interviewing a boxer? I find his story fascinating. He was featured on a show called Losers on Netflix, which chronicles his career. As I mentioned off the top, he was one of the top amateur fighters in the world. He ends up losing his first fight, nearly retires, comes back, ends up fighting all the way until he becomes heavyweight champ, gets knocked out in his first title defense as the heavyweight champ. From there, he retires, doesn't know what he's going to do. He ends up having an incredibly successful life in which he actually becomes kind of a Hollywood go-to guy for boxing stuff. So he trained Will, uh, Will Smith for the Ali movie. He trained Clint Eastwood for Million Dollar Baby. He's done some acting himself. And so the show Losers is really about the fact that even though he was considered quote-unquote a loser by some in the world of sports, he has had a ton of success in the real world after his career. And again, we talk about some dark stuff. We talk about him being at his highest points, at his lowest points. If you've seen the, the movie, he does not have a great relationship with his dad. Uh, it gets dark in some places, but I think it, it, it's a depiction of what real life is, right? Real life isn't all rainbows and butterflies. Sometimes you're on top of the world. Sometimes, you know, you're maximum security and you don't win the Kentucky Derby when you thought you won it. You know, life isn't always easy. And so the interview with Michael Bent, I really enjoyed. It's a long one. I do hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I will stick mostly to basketball over these next few months, but every once in a while, if I can interview somebody that I find interesting, I'm going to do it. So that is all. Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, iTunes, Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, tune in radio, Pod Paradise. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. Please make sure to subscribe to the show. Make sure to rate and review it. Uh, by the way, if you have any questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. That is all for today. That is all from me for today. Now let's go to former heavyweight champ, Michael Bent. All right, and joining me in person here in Los Angeles, former heavyweight champ, and also, uh, I don't know if it's a star, you're part of the new Netflix series, it's called Losers, it's about athletes, success, failures, it's kind of a deep dive, I really enjoyed it, but Michael Bent is here with me, how you doing man? Thank you, I'm fantastic brother, thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Um, I would start really quick with this, like very simple. For people who haven't seen the show yet, the show, like the way that I would describe it is kind of like people who have had success in sports, but they're not the MJs, the LeBrons, the Mike Tysons, and kind of um, find success both in the ring, on the field, whatever, but then also in life beyond sports. One, is that kind of how you would describe the show? And then two, how did you kind of just get involved in all this? Uh, the show is a uh, an examination of like you know the psychological journey of the uh, of the athlete, be it tennis or or figure skating or basketball or boxing. You know that's what the you know that's how I primarily see the show. Um, my involvement with it came about. Uh, I have a friend 
Bryn Butler, who is okay. a uh, Toronto, uh, no, Montreal-based uh, boxing writer. Sure. He connected with some cast from Netflix, and we made the connection. And uh, Mickey Dozy, the uh, director, says, Mike, like, you know, let's, let's, let's work together. And, you know, and it happened. And we shot three days in um, L.A. and then two days in New York. And, uh, and you know, the rest is, you know, is, is what it is. What was it about this project or this show that you want to get involved with? Uh, well, I mean... I've been an actor for like the last twenty something years and you know, anytime you everyone wants to be on the stage and have their, you know, of piece of story, piece of history told. Sure. And like, you know, I'm no different. Sure. You know, but like, you know, if you're gonna interview me and uh dig into my uh my journey, let me be like frank and candid, man. Mm-hmm. Like like unapologetically honest. And I had the opportunity with those guys on Netflix. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Watching the show, that's exactly how it comes off. And yeah. so, like, let's get into it. So, you were raised in Brooklyn or New York City. Queens. Queens. My I bad. I trained in Brooklyn. No, 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 no. I, I, all five I trained bro- in Brooklyn. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, all five boroughs kind of run the same to me, except for Staten Island. That one's a little <laughs> bit different. But, so, okay. So, you grow up boxing household. And something that, like, strikes you right away when you flip on this show mm your relationship with your father. So he was a huge boxing fan. You said your earliest memory was watching Muhammad Ali. Is that correct? Watching Muhammad Ali. Well, I didn't know who he was okay, at the time. Okay, okay, sure. I was like maybe like three. Okay. My earliest memory was like sitting in my aunt's kitchen uh, in England where I was born, watching uh, this black guy in white trunks and this white guy in black trunks okay. fighting on TV. Sure. And like I did years later I did research. Uh-huh. And I came to uh understand that the black fighter was Muhammad Ali sure. and the white fighter was Karl Mildenberger okay. from Germany. Mm-hmm. And that like oh, wow, you know, but you know, so like, you know, human beings don't forget anything, man. Sure. We may re- repress stuff, but like we don't forget anything. And so and your dad, basically, from day one, it was determined before you were born, like, this is your career path. Like, you didn't have a say in it at all. No, not at all. Dad was West Indian. Uh, um, my father was very, very ambitious. Um, he would step into a room and light the room. Very, like, you know, a charismatic cat. Interesting. Okay. No, he, he was. Because he comes off in the movie almost as, you know, domineering. Like, oh, yeah. No, he was. He was yeah. that. But we have, like, you know, different sizes. Sure. And like you know, if he could like you know, if he was if it was Friday, and he didn't have to work or weekend, he's out partying, and he is the life of the party. Okay. But he had this switch. You could, no, 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 don't cross him. You know, don't challenge his his uh, his um, his domain. Uh-huh. And uh, when I was ten years old, uh, I started boxing at nine and a half, ten years old, and for like six months, uh, you know, I I hated going to the gym. Of course. Because I was getting p- punched in the face and. Uh, Dude, I, I don't like this thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I went home and told my father, you know what, Dad, check this out. I, you know, I mean, I, I ain't say check this out. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> you know, Dad, I don't want to box anymore. It went ballistic. Uh-huh. You know, broke the rabbit ear antenna off the t- TV and beat me with it. Yeah. You know, and uh, but I knew that was going to happen subconsciously. Sure. You know, but um, and I say to people, that was the day that I became a man. Because hmm. I stood up to, like, I didn't stand up to my father, but I challenged him. Sure. And I took it, you know, and it broke me, but, like, you know, he didn't, he didn't kill me. Interesting, interesting, yeah. interesting. So your 
forced into boxing. You try to leave. You can't leave. But at some point, like, you got really good. Five-time U.S. champion, right? Four-time Golden Glove champion. Like, at what point, one, what was your – I guess I would ask, like, what was your motivation? Was it just to please your father? Was because no. you were afraid of him? What, what was the motivation? Because you did step back in the ring and you had a ton of success. Great question, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. When I was uh, boxing as a 9-, 10-year-old, mm-hmm. I met this guy named George Pimentel. Okay. And George was a really, really sound boxer. He ended up uh, uh, winning second place. I mean, runner-up in the Golden Gloves in New York for several years. And he finally made the USA boxing team. He was a Dominican uh, immigrant. Mm-hmm. And his goal was to make the USA boxing team and to win like the Golden Gloves. Okay. And he would so he would always say to me, Michael, like you know, great boxers win four Golden Gloves. Really? And it always stuck in my mind. Interesting. Okay. And I could, I, you know, I, I didn't care. I was a big baseball fan. You know? Okay. But so, at the age of uh, fifteen, I was a chronic cruent. Uh, a chronic cruent. No, I was a chronic chronic, chronic truant. Truant. Right. Which means you just stopped showing up to school, basically. Basically. Okay. But I would like. Go to school, take the like, train and bus. I went to aviation high school, which was like a, a good school in New York back then. Okay. I would take this train, like, you know, and act like I was going to school. Go to school, then go to the school library, steal books, re- ride the train all day, read books, go home, you know. So on this day, I didn't go to school. I acted like I did and came back home. Mm-hmm. And my brother had a paper out. Okay. And I grabbed the paper, you know, went upstairs. Headline says USA boxing team perishes on on uh, on approach to a Warsaw airport. Okay, so what? Big deal, sure. right? So I'm like, you know, watching TV, whatever, and I flipped to the uh, newspaper, and the guy who was my first mentor, his picture was there. They had pictures of all the athletes who died. Okay. And the coaches who died. Wow. And there's George's picture. I'm like, wow. You know, I, I started crying. Uh-huh. How old were you at that point? Uh, about 14 and a half, 15. Okay, cool, yeah. cool, cool. And um. And from that moment, I decided to dedicate myself to boxing. Interesting. You know, as an homage to my guy, to my guy, uh, to my guy George. My father, my father always thought that I returned because, like, you know, his influence. But no, I do. I, I never told him that. Sure. You know, uh, I guess I expressed that indirectly as I got older. But um, I never, like, you know, Sam down or Sam down. I never, like, you know, said that. No, 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 no. You're not responsible for this, bro. So. So was there a gap where, you know, 9, 10 years old, you say you don't want to do it, and then 14, 15, you kind of find this new passion for the sport? Like, because you said you kind of just said, like, there, you sort of returned. Is that fair, or were you boxing the whole time? No, 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 no. I had quit. Oh, you had? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I had, like, you know, stopped going to the gym. My trainer, um, my first trainer was a guy named Joe Davis. Okay. And I would walk maybe a block to the to the uh, uh, street corner, mm-hmm. and he would pick me up on his way to the boxing gym, which was in Flushing Queens, mm-hmm. maybe like a half hour drive from like you know, my neighborhood. And he would pick me up like you know religiously. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm always there. But um, on this one particular day, I just said, "Dad, like I don't want to box anymore, man." And uh, the only, you know what? Uh, the only thing that bothered me uh, that whole day was not being able to say goodbye to my friend George. Sure. Who was my like? Who was my first mentor? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, he was like 16. I was like 10. That's a big age gap, man. Of course. And this guy, he cared about me. He would he would take me running with him. You know, he would like teach me different techniques, and like you know, I mean, I mean, he would spank me when we spar, but like you know, he would spank me with compassion. Sure, sure. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. Is it cliche, like kind of 
so my fiance is a family therapist and mm-hmm. so you know I, I pick up some stuff from her but like your fiance is a therapist like a mental like a mental health therapist Ooh. yeah no it's okay <laughs> it's, she's straightened me out she straightened me <laughs> out in a hurry. but is there like something where like this 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 guy george filled some kind of void that you didn't have in your home life Absolutely. okay yeah oh yeah, yeah. sure yeah. sure okay. you know i i wasn't get like i wasn't getting the kind of support sure. or, or or encouragement uh in the right way you know no one has ever loved the way they want to be loved. Of course. You know, so like, you know, my father wasn't giving that to me. My brother wasn't giving that to me because like my brother also was like raised under the fist of my father. Sure. You know, so like, you know, I, you know, I can't blame him. And your brother was a boxer too, right? That's right. Won the Golden Gloves. We, uh, we were the first heavyweights to win, to win uh, um, Golden Gloves uh, championships on the same night. Wow. 1985. He so won. it's just different age group? Yeah, yeah. Different um, age group, uh, different weight class. He was super heavyweight. I was heavyweight. Mm. You know, and when, at that time, you know, I, I didn't really appreciate it. Sure. But I do now. It's a big deal now. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So your amateur career kind of develops, and you're, like I said, you're a really successful four-time Gold Gloves champ, which yeah. is this very prominent event in New yeah. York. Five-time, uh, whatever, national U.S. Champion. national right, champion. Yeah. But you said something interesting in the documentary, which kind of struck me, is you never intended to go pro. No. Is that, that fair? Yeah. So, like, you have all this crazy success, so you're just doing it. Like, what? Like what? what did you have a plan, or was it just, I'm just, at some point, I'm just not going to do this anymore? My plan was um, to, like, you know, I didn't plan on having, like, you know, this great amateur, like, you know, sure. um, um, career. You can't plan that. Of course, you know, sure, you, sure, you, sure. You, got, you, know, you got to stay in the moment. You can appreciate the results of it, but like you know, when you're done with it, but like you, know, you can't plan that. Mm-hmm. You know, so I. Um, but I always wanted to go to school, oh, college, because sure. I'm a high school dropout. Okay. I dropped out in high school when I made the USA boxing team. Okay. And uh, that, you know that was a big deal. Sure. And uh, the day I got the letter from the USA boxing team, you know my father was thrilled. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I got to drop out of high school because. You know, the training camp is several months, five, six weeks in, in Colorado Springs. Mm-hmm. The uh, USA Boxing, um, I mean, USA um, Olympic Training Center, five weeks. You know, I might as well drop out of school. He's like, he, he was like, drop out of school, man. Yeah. Because, like, you know, that's fulfilling his thing. Sure. You know, and uh, it, indirectly, it was fulfilling my thing because uh, I think the re- one of the reasons why I was such a good amateur boxer um, was because it gave me a chance to get out of that environment with my father. Okay. You know, and, uh, you know, subconsciously, like, you know, that was pushing me because, like, I despised the man, and he despised me. Okay. You know, and I know why, like, you know, a little bit of backstory. You know, my, my mom and dad had a horrible relationship. Okay. My birth mother. And uh, she uh, she told me, like, fairly recently that uh, – when she was pregnant with me, mm-hmm. she tried to kill herself. By oh my God! Throwing herself down like you know a flight of stairs. Wow! And I, I, I'm like, you know what? I get it. I have always like you know, had these thoughts of suicide, right? Okay. And you should, you should like you know ask your fiance about this as well, man, because like you know, I think there's a connection between like you know the 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 uh, development of a child. Okay. They experience trauma. Sure. You know whether like you know it's direct or indirect, right? And my mother went through hell with my father. The arguments, the beatings, blah blah blah. So like you know, I experienced that. Sure. And I also experienced being like you know pitched down this flight of stairs in this woman's so, yeah. body, right? Yeah. And but I have always been like you know 
at least like thoughts of killing myself. Interesting. And I, I didn't understand why until maybe like a year and a half ago, two years ago, my mom, like, you know, you know me and my mother have these great talks. She's, she's a Jamaican immigrant as well. Mm-hmm. as well. And uh, she said, yeah, Mike, at one point, like, and I, you know, I, your father beat me and I was so um, uh, uh, depressed, disappointed uh, that I threw myself down the side of the stairs and tried to kill you. Well, wow. tried to kill myself and you. I'm like, fuck me, man. Wow. Now I get it. Yeah. Now I get it. So, um, and cut to, you know, uh, when I was born, my father wasn't present at the, uh, at the hospital. Sure. Showed up like maybe like f- three or four days later. <laughs> and my mother named me, despite my father, she named me after uh, the person that my father hated the most, his father. Okay. Yeah. Michael Bent. Wow. Like, God right, damn, B. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, Mom, thank you for telling me this. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it doesn't lift the weight off, but, like, you know, now I get the chance to connect those dots and investigate, like, okay, you know, maybe, like, you know, forgive myself. Yeah. Even though I had no choice in the matter. Yeah. You know, it's a head trip, man. By the way, I will say for people listening that don't know Michael's story, it does have it has an happy ending. I don't want people to get sad, depressed, or anything. Really, because you know, but this is life, though, right? No, I sure, mean, no, sure. No, my story yeah. isn't unique. The platform it was told on Netflix that's unique. Well, and that's I was going to say too, and that's one thing I've learned through my fiance yeah. is everybody goes through something. Sometimes you have good parents, but bad brother and sister. That's Sometimes right. you have a good mom, but a bad dad. That's Sometimes right. you have a grandparent that watches out for you, but your parents that's are shitheads. Right. So that's, right. that's one thing I've learned is everybody goes through their own deal. Yeah, man. Um, and like, you know, I've learned not to cut you off. Though. No, please. I've learned that like, you know, although, you know, my father, um, like did what he did to me, like, you know, is, was a horrible, like father. I mean, he learned that, from from society or his parents, sure. You know I mean? So like you know, I empathize with that, and I find I find value in my father, just because I find value in you doesn't mean I can't like you. Sure, of course. You know what I mean? So like you know, it's you know, so I you know, makes you know sense. I'm in that perspective. And I'm that cool makes, with that. That makes perfect sense. And so, we'll continue on with this story as yeah. it was told in the movie. But, um, so you're fighting, mm-hmm. you decide to go pro just basically to get out of your family's house right exactly okay because i knew from early on like if i stay under this man's roof something bad's gonna happen so you were like 23 24 when you went pro right because uh, i 1988 so you were 24 because I, I did my research wait, wait, wait. was 24 yeah i feel like that's old for a boxer uh once again like you know if i was gonna if i had designs on turning sure pro, i'm turning pro left i win like you know my second golden gloves championship or my second like you know um sure. national championship Interesting. I'm not turning pro. Yeah. No, I'm, I didn't know. I wanted to, like, you know, enjoy. Once you start traveling with the USA boxing team, they have this, like, camaraderie. That's my education, you know. And that's your family, too. Exactly. Yeah. And, like, you know, like, like uh, traveling the world and interacting with different cultures, man, like, you know, you can't get that at Harvard. Sure. Trust me. I believe it. You, can, you know, I'm like, wow, man. It, it was mind-blowing. And once again, like, it, I was always, like, you know, um, augmenting my education with, like, by, I was a voracious reader. You know, anything I'd read. You know, uh, so that, like, you know, balanced that, you know. Interesting. Yeah, and it's amazing, right? You don't have to go to school to be educated. No, but no, no. What's that great quote by, um, 
uh, Mark Twain, never let your education get in, way, get in the way of your schooling. Yeah, or, or of your, your learning or something. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Never let your schooling get in the way of your learning. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's where it's, it's ongoing. And so you did go pro, though. Yeah, I did go pro, right. And Manuel so, Stewart. Yeah, I was going to say, so what led you – so it was to just get out of your parents' house? or Yeah, yeah okay, okay. And like <laughs> – I mean, you know, I mean, not that like, you know, yeah, like you should know this, but like, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was like a part of my uh, survival mechanism, which uh-huh. I didn't recognize that sure. at the time. But like, you know, I was in survival mode. You know, I lost to Ray Mercer in the Olympic trials. And that was, oh, made up my like, you know, depression. You know, because uh, I was a guy. You know, of to course. make the uh, 88 team and, like, you know, lost to Ray and, man, uh, in, in the box off and in the Olympic trials and plummeted. And uh, my father actually flew me out to Jamaica because there was a chance that we could um, uh, compete for the uh, the uh, Jamaican team. Okay. And we competed. Well, I competed. He he didn't throw any punches. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, and I beat, like, you know, the uh, top two uh, Jamaican guys. And so, unofficially, I was part of the Jamaican 1988 boxing team. Mm. Uh, a week or so before the, the uh, team leaves from Jamaica to Seoul, my father gets a phone call from the uh, president of the uh, Jamaican Olympic national boxing team and says, look, you know, my, my father has some money, you know, and like, you know, people knew that. So this president uh, allegedly says to my father, you know, it's, you know, yeah, you got to like, look, Pay for the whole team if you're supposed uh, to accompany us. Wow. You know, you know, you know, that's a hustle. Yeah, of course. My father, like, you know, he tells me what's going on and says, like, uh, what do you want to do? And I know if my father, you know, pays for this trip, I will hear it for the rest of my life. And he is not the kind of person that I would want to hear that from for the rest of my life. Sure. So I was like, you know what, man? Check us out. I'll pass. Wow. I'll pass. I'm good. And so you go pro. Crushing. I mean, like, you know, Emmanuel Stewart, it's like, you know, it, well, like, you know crushing that crushed me. Oh, yeah, it crushed me. In what's it? Not going to the Olympics. Right, because, okay. like, you know, I knew, like, you know, I knew uh, I knew if I had done that, I'd have had to pay a, a very heavy price. Sure. And I w- it would have been ugly at some point because, like, you know, my father is the kind of guy that always say, like, you know, look what I did for you. Yeah. My man, check this out. Don't do that to me. Yeah. Interesting. Don't do that to me, you know. But um, so uh, after a while, um, Emmanuel Stewart. Uh, Very famous boxing uh, yeah. Uh, trainer. Yeah. yeah. I was, uh, I was uh, on the way back from, um, from the uh, loss to Ray Mercer in the uh, Olympic trials box off. And I was sitting with a friend of mine, Frank Lyles, who was from uh, Syracuse. And Frank was going to s- – Frank was signing with Emmanuel. And he said, Mike, you know, if you want to sign, if you want to turn pro, I can – Make this connection for you, and he did. This was after. Uh, this was before we went back to uh, went to Jamaica. I said, "Okay, great." And then a few months after Jamaica, Emmanuel called me and said, "Mike, I want to, you know, you know, you got some talent." Oh. I said, "Some talent?" <laughs> no, 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 I never said no. No, no I never said that. I said, "So I was like, I'm like, great, let's do it." And okay. he offered me like a nice contract. I'm like, whoa. I said, "I'm going, man." Uh-huh. So um, moved to Detroit. Whew. Did not really like Detroit. Okay. You know, I love the manual. 
Like, I love the manual and his family, but, like, I didn't like the whole Detroit vibe. It was, was kind of rough, man. Sure. You know, I'm a kid from the suburbs. Okay. You know, I experienced, like, you know, roughness uh, in Bed-Stuy, but, like, you know, it was a different kind of roughness. Sure. You know, it was like a, it was a roughness that, that uh, they, they accepted me. Sure. You know, whereas in Kronk, I had to always, like, you know, prove yourself every second. And wow. I wasn't used to that. Okay. You know, because, like, you know, it was like a... Um, it was like a, a cultural thing. Sure. You know, you're from New York. I'm like, dude, but I'm a boxer, man. Yeah. I got scar tissue like you got scar tissue, meathead. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's, you know, there's no difference between you and I. What's the difference? Yeah. You know, oh, because I'm not from Detroit? You know, so just I just felt that way. Yeah. Maybe I was projecting. I don't know. No. You know, but um, so uh, I ended up getting uh, fighting a guy named Jerry Jones and I'm this big amateur star, Michael Benta, Emmanuel, um, um, plugged me as uh, the only guy that can potentially beat Mike Tyson. Oh, yeah. that's no pressure, right? Yeah. Whew, Jesus, I mean, my man, check this out. Uh, and I'm thinking, and when he says that. Your brother fought Mike Tyson too, right? Yes, as okay. an amateur. In okay. the uh, 1983 or four Empire State Games, Finals. Okay. You're familiar with the Empire State Games, right? Sort of, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like, like the, New uh, York. Yeah. Right. It's like an Olympic-like type um, sporting festival for, like, you know, the state of New York. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, oh, well, <laughs> I got some stories about that that I can't share with you. But okay. Uh, <laughs> you so, so this is like 19, what, 89 that you uh, go pro? Right. That's right. So yeah. everybody knows Mike Tyson at this point. That's He's right. He's at the top. Exactly. Okay, so. exactly. He's like, that's the, uh, that's the, that's the, uh, the bar. Okay. You know, uh, and uh, Emmanuel always saying like, uh, yeah, Michael is the only guy who, who, who could potentially beat uh, Mike Tyson, you know. And I was, for a moment, I was, um, I was being mentored by Sugar Ray Leonard. Oh, in the that's cool. Yeah, yeah. In the 1987 um, Pan Am Games, uh, Ray came down the scout, uh, you know, a boxing team. So he recruited me, Roy Jones, and some other fighters. Oh, wow. And we got a chance to spend, like, you know, months and months with Ray, you know, at his uh, boxing camp in, in Maryland. And he would always say, Mike, like, you know, you have the skill to beat Mike Tyson. Um, and I'm thinking, my man, check us out. No, I never said this. Yeah. This okay. is on the inside, I'm thinking. Sure, I'm sure, like, sure. Don't say that, man. Yeah. I'm not even like, you know, I haven't even won the goddamn Olympic shit, man. You know, I lost to Savone, like, you know, twice. Felix Savone. You familiar with him? I'm Felix not, Savone? No. Great Cuban boxer, man. I mean, this guy is like, he was like, he was like a Teofilo Stevenson. Same level. And uh, I uh, fought uh, Felix Savone twice. Uh, and uh, he is the only, I am the only American heavyweight that he didn't knock out. Wow. And he fought at, at least maybe like six or seven American heavyweights. And he, woo, wow. I mean, some like guys who turned out to be professional champions, mm -hmm. demolished them. Okay. And, you know, I'm like, nah, dude, you're not, you're not knocking me out, B. Not because I'm that tough, but because I'm, I'm smart. Sure. You can't find me. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm, 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 no, no. Interesting. I'm not doing that, you know. So your first professional fight, though, like you said, you're you're the hot shot. He found shot. me. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jerry so, Jones found me. So for the people who don't know who haven't yeah. seen the show, you are, of course, one of the most accomplished amateur heavyweights probably ever. All these accolades, and I don't want to speak for you, but I would assume <laughs> that you think your first professional fight, oh, you know, I've beaten up a million guys, whatever. Right. So continue. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's funny. Um, I don't know. Well, subconsciously, I probably felt like that. Or even consciously, I'm thinking like, you know, 15 like bums mm -hmm. and then Tyson. Okay, yeah. Know. 
Um, not to disparage, like, you know, those 15 bumps, because, like, if you step into a ring, you're not really a bum, dude. Sure. You know what I mean? But, like, you know, in my, you know, in my, you know, uh, POV, that's, like, the level of, 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 of confidence I had. And uh, Emmanuel, um, um, we fought in Kansas, uh, Kansas City. We fought in um, Atlantic sure. City. Okay, oh, yeah. uh, every fighter that Emmanuel had that night had difficulty. Interesting. Uh, that uh, that uh, that card was shown on ESPN. Emmanuel Stewart had uh, signed a bunch of these amateur, like you know, elite amateur guys, and ESPN like you know, did a production of 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 their debut fights. Sure, my fight was the last fight. Every one of those guys, like they they had a hard time. You know, um, I repressed that. You know, people would come back say, "Say, well, damn, this guy got whew, close fight." Um, you know, I, I, that's not my business, man, but it affects you. Sure. Right? And uh, so uh, my first pro fight, going like a Michael Ben, blah, blah, blah. You know, hey, you know. Jerry Jones. Never heard of Jerry Jones. Okay. Never heard not of Jerry. Not the Cowboys owner. <laughs> <laughs> no, not the Cowboys owner, man. And, like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what Michael Ben is supposed to do. Yeah. Right. Has this you know, highly acclaimed amateur boxer first pro fight? You you go in and you dig into this guy. And you and you expose him and you make him quit. I walked into a Jerry had the ability to switch. He was ambidextrous. Okay. I had no idea what the hell that meant. Sure. Okay. I do now though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? I bet. And he nails me with a uh, a left hand, like. And, you know, there's two kinds of getting hurt. There's a kind where you get buzzed and you, uh-oh, tighten up your stuff, man. Yep. And there's a time, and there's, and there's a type where, when I leave my damn car keys, just <laughs> <going. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and I was exposed by the second kind. Where my car keys at? And where the hell am I? What day is it? Yeah. Exactly. And all I hear was like, you know, 9, 10. Ooh. Wow. And I remember the uh, the referee was Rudy Battle. Okay. Black guy with, like, slick hair. He looked like um, one of the Nicholas brothers. Okay. You know, those dancers from the 1940s or 50s. And he sits me down on the chair, I mean, on the stool in my corner. And I, I remember he's, him saying to me, you know where you are? I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like in fucking Atlantic City, man. Okay. Can I curse? Yeah. And Say whatever the fuck yeah, you want, yeah, man. It's yeah, okay. I was like, yeah, I'm in fucking Atlantic City. And I go back, and my father is going ballistic. He was there, you know, and to support his son, the great boxer, Michael Ben. And it's I had a friend that. named Paul Fucolaro, who was one of my sponsors as an amateur. Paul's a sweetheart. Always been a sweetheart. And my father is going off on Paul. Oh, because wow. he can't, he can't, like, he doesn't have the, uh, the uh, uh, emotional intelligence to know that it's not about Paul. Yeah. It's about your pain. Yep. And how it makes you feel and how people are going to look at you because your friend lost his first pro fight on national, like, on ESPN. That's what it's about, man. It's not about Paul. You know, so, um, of course, I couldn't, like, you know, process that until now mm-hmm. or, or a couple of years ago. But, like, uh, so I go back to the dressing room and, whew, oh, boy. Man, about a week later, I mean, I'm back in Detroit, and uh, um, I get a knock on my door. I had not come out of my room for like seven to ten days. 
grew a beard, and had, I was I was completely depressed, man. And uh, I get knock on the door, and it's uh, it's a guy named Gerald McClellan. Okay. If you if you don't know who he is, Google uh, Gerald McClellan. Um, I knew him from the amateurs, and he said, Mike, yo, get up out your bed, man. Let's go for a drive. Drove around, you know, just just to you know get some air. And I went to Emmanuel's. Uh, he dropped me off in front of uh, Emmanuel Stewart's house. I said, Emmanuel, I need to go home and visit my mother. It was Easter. I drove like 10 hours uh, to New York. And like, it wasn't about like, you know, going home to visit my mother. I needed some space. Sure. You know, I know that now. And, um, and uh, Gerald actually ended up getting knocked into a coma. And right now he's, uh, he's, he's, He's not a paraplegic, but like you know, he's paralyzed. Wow. You know, Jeez. this is the guy who like knocked on my door and said, "Yo, come on out, man." Wow. That's See how crazy. small the world is. Yeah. You know. No, you're right. And you know, not to cut you off, man, but uh, we had um, when I got knocked out by Herbie Hyde in ninety ninety five. Gerald and I uh, would have, in the space of one year, we would have the same neurosurgeon. Wow. Doctor John Sutcliffe. Yeah. He was referenced in the movie. So for people who are, are trying to follow, I, I would assume everybody knows, but decorated amateur, you get knocked out in your first professional mm-hmm. fight. You drive home, and you basically quit at that point, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, consciously, I didn't make, uh, it wasn't a conscious decision to say, like, you know what, well, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Sure. You know, I don't think I was built that way. I wasn't built that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I was avoiding Avoidance is like you know a powerful thing, man. Yeah. Because if I if I'm not like you know going to the boxing gym, if I'm not looking at boxing magazines, or like you know if I'm not like you know returning phone calls of my trainers or my managers, that's that's avoidance. Sure. And I was in avoidance mode, driving back from Detroit. It wasn't about going to visit my mother. I'm avoiding like you know the uh, the uh, circumstances of like you know who I am. I'm a fighter. Yeah. Supposed to stay in Detroit. Get over it, get past it, suck it up, get your behind back in the gym, man. Yeah. And 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 if you're gonna fail, you fail, but get up faster the next time. Interesting. I didn't yeah. know about that. Yeah, of course. No, one, no, I wasn't taught that in boxing. Boxing doesn't teach you that. Mm-hmm. Boxing does not teach you like you know to fail. If you're gonna fail, fail faster the next time. I learned that as an actor. Okay. Like or in the arts, whatever you want to call sure. it. You know what I'm saying that you know. So, um, um, not demonizing boxing, but like of you course. know, the uh, lessons I learned uh, as 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 a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the plot of boxing, well, I learned over here. And I mean, I guess it's kind of like boxing is survival, right? Like you can't think about what happens. That's right. When you get knocked down, That's right. it's like eh, you're not. That's I, right. You're not trying to get knocked down. So, if uh, if your wife or some psychoanalyst sits down with a boxer, a great boxer. Yeah. Say if your wife like has sat down with Muhammad Ali when he was in his prime and she investigated like, you know, why he fights and where that thing comes from, I guarantee you Muhammad Ali will reti- would retire from boxing. Because he'd have to think about it. You're goddamn right. Have and he had to embrace like, you know, why he fights. And most fighters fight from victimhood. Yeah. Roy Jones one of the most talented heavyweights, I mean, uh, uh, fighters of the past 50, 60 years, right? Fights from victimhood. You know, the great fighters fight from victimhood. If you were to examine, if they were, if they were to examine why they fought, 
they wouldn't they wouldn't fight. Trust me. Interesting. It's too That's painful. I believe it. Yeah. That makes perfect yeah. sense. Yeah. All right, but you did get back into boxing. I don't yes. know how or when or why, because I said at the top you are a former heavyweight yeah. champion, so you obviously got back into it. Right. Uh, I don't know where what, what led to Oh, I know what led to it. You beat the crap out of Vander Holyfield. Well, you can't. Uh, no, nah, no, I know, no, I know. I'm no, kidding. I, no, no, no. See, no, now I'm ball no. busting. See, now you don't like it when the other <laughs> when the ball buster becomes no, the ball no, buster. No, 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 no. Bust, bust. Hi, though, guys. I know. Bust so balls, you, you no, were no. a sparring partner. Sparring partner. Uh, yes, I know. I never claimed to have beat the heck out of Vander Holyfield. I, I know. did, But I will say this, though. This is like, you know, um, uh, the reason why uh, how I got back into boxing, yep. my friend Paul. Mm-hmm. Guy that my father blew up at at the, my first professional um, mm-hmm. loss uh, debut. Uh, he called me. We were still in contact. You know, that's, that's my dude. Yeah, of course. And uh, he called me one day and said, "Mike, like uh, um, Mickey Duff wants to fly you down to uh, Clearwater, Florida, to be the sparring partner of someone named Gary Mason, who was the number of rank, was number five ranked heavyweight contender in the world. That I, I, I don't, I had no idea who Gary Mason is." Like that's an excuse, yeah. You know, had I not long, had I been like you know, um, uh, enthusiastic about like you know pursuing boxing, I'd be like, yeah, sure. But I, yeah. But I wasn't. I was afraid. Of course, fear. You know, and I said, nah, you know, I'm cool. I got a job at um, a hospital in New York, uh, Long Island George Hospital. I'm cool. I'm good, making decent money. Okay, great. Call me again, Mike. Like you know, you know, because he knew me. He knew me better than. Then I knew myself at that point. Interesting. You know, my guy Paul. Because we would, like, share a bunch of stuff, man. Yeah. And I would, like, you know, throw out things. And he was like, okay, great. But he gave me time. And he called me back. He called me back and said, look. I said, okay, Paul, I got it. And I went to my, um, my uh, supervisor at the, uh, at, the, uh, at the job, Long Island Jewish. Like, you know what, sweetie? Thank you for what you've done for me. But, like, you know, I don't belong here. I told you that. I said, I don't belong here. You know, went down to Florida, and I, spar- uh, I started sparring with uh, Gary Mason, number five heavyweight contender in the world. And uh, I, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was, okay. He couldn't touch me. Okay. There you, you go. I mean, not being arrogant. You know, you know like he listens he, to the show, right? Nah, no, uh, no, no. He passed away. Oh, okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, you know, that's just. My bad. No, 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 no. Wait, but no. So, um, at one point, like, you know, Gary and I became good friends, you know, really good friends. So we're at breakfast one day. I'm like, Gary, check us out, man. When you spar with me, when I spar with you, are you taking it easy on me? He starts laughing. No, no, mate. No, no. Okay, great. I got some stuff. I got some. I still got it. Mm-hmm. That, like, you know, make, gave me a, a glimpse of, okay, you know, you got some stuff, man. A couple of years later, I was hired by the Duvers uh, to uh, be the head spawn partner, the chief spawn partner of uh, Evander Holyfield in Houston uh, when um, Evander was um, fighting Larry Holmes uh, in his first defense of his championship, I think it was. And they called me down. You know, similar style, you know, for Evander to like, you know, explore, you know. Um, and uh, Evander's trainer was Georgie Benton. And I'm coming into, like, the uh, hotel room, I mean, the hotel lobby on an off day. And I see Georgie at a, a bar. And he summons me over to him. He says, I've known Georgie for, like, you know, maybe, like, four or five, six years prior to that. He would, like, work with me as well. 
you know, and uh, he said to me, um, he says, God damn baby face. No, baby cakes. He said, God damn baby, uh, baby cakes. Cakes face. Cut, 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 cut. <laughs> he would say to me, God damn baby cakes. When you fuck around in the spot with Vanta, I can't tell who the champion is. Wow. You know what kind of, like, you know, stamp that is? Of course. Yeah. That's massive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's always stayed with me. Uh-huh. Uh, particularly, like, you know, when I uh, um, walked into the ring to fight Tommy Morrison, that stayed with me. He's the, you know, like, you know, Tommy Morrison, well, at least in my mind, Tommy Morrison isn't getting those kind of compliments from Georgie Benton. Okay. Who I think, like, you know, is, is one of the best uh, boxing instructors, not trainers. People train horses. Mm-hmm. Boxing instructors instruct, like, you know, people. Sure. How to navigate their mind and, like, you know, how to turn that Minecraft into, you know, physical activity in a boxing room. That's Georgie Benton. Wow. And he liked you. Oh, and so, dude. Yeah, so you get back into it then. Yeah. And that, and that, so was there a moment where, one, that you're like, I'm back in? Is there – I mean, obviously you got set up with some more fights, but – and then at that point, are you doing it for you? Like, like – I mean, uh, I was always doing it. Well, well, yeah. I wasn't always doing it for me. Well, I think – like the uh, the George Pimentel like you know aspect of like you know doing it for my uh, mentor, you know I think like you know that that's uh, that was a important component. But like you know, I think if I if I dig under that man, um, I just did not want to box just because you say I have to box. Yeah. I wanted to do it like you know on the on my terms. Yep. You know and when you're told like like you have to like particularly me, if you tell me I have to do something, man, I man why mm-hmm. and like you know my father didn't have the uh the, didn't have the um the uh the uh um articulation to tell me like why break it down to me you know and uh i think i think although you know boxing for jaws that served me but i just gave myself uh that was like you know, a way of like giving myself the okay to do something that i didn't want to do does that make sense? Of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know. Um, but then you start really beating ass, yeah. I mean, I start to really uh, uh, um, embrace my talent. Yeah. You know, because uh, it's a, it's a, it can be a head trip, man. Sure. You know, uh, when you're up here as an amateur. But, like, you know, even when I was up here as an amateur, I never trusted it. Really? I never trusted it. Nope. Never, which is probably, like, you know, why I was so, like, you know, outstanding in the first place or, or second place. You know, because you know when 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 you're when you're in conflict with something that you're so good at, mm-hmm. on the surface, why would you have doubts or insecurities or conflicts? But I had massive doubts and insecurities sure. and conflicts, man. That's what probably pushed me. Well, and it's crazy because you know I cover a lot of different sports, but you hear this all the time in football. Well, a guy's six foot eight. You know, he's three hundred ten pounds. Of course, he's going to play football or basketball. Same thing. That's he's, right. That's right. But the difference with those sports is, well, maybe not so much football, but yeah. you're not literally somebody coming to, like, physically harm you, you know. It's like one thing to be six foot ten and you're playing basketball because you have to and you yeah. really aren't into it, but you kind of feel like you have to. Right. It's another thing to be into boxing where you could get your head taken off, you know. Listen, See, there you go. I tell, <laughs> I tell people frequently, man, like, you know, that getting knocked down in front of people, a packed stadium is the most humiliating act in not just sports, really? but, like, you know, I think 
is the most humiliated act and like on the wow. humiliation like you know spectrum i'll tell you from a casual observer's perspective yeah. i actually disagree with that because okay. i think we all see you guys and the girls that do it as warriors and it's like you go to the center of the ring or the octagon or whatever and you're literally one you're putting your life on the line but two you know you're just fucking beating ass that man may be true my friend i but i've never been on the other side of it no though, no no. So, yeah. <laughs> no no like you know, i'm not i'm not saying like you know, i'm not saying you're wrong this is like you know just like you know it's, it's a uh, a different perspective sure pov you know what i mean but like you know um the people like who are watching though sure the judging as well sure makes sense that's you fair. know they'll, they'll, oh and like you know um how many times have you like you know watched a boxing match and the guy loses Who's supposed to be the super talent? He's like, he's a bum. True. People say that. True. I like, love when the people are like, like when the announcer would be like, oh, he's out of shape, and it's like, dude's got a six pack. He's right. fucking cut. Right. You're like, out of shape. I think he's, I think he's in pretty good shape. But well, announcers like you know tend to be uh, um, uh, um, negative or skeptical because they're human beings as well. Of course. Maybe like you know the guy like you know who has his great body like you know maybe this guy like you know. Looks like the guy, the guy who his wife had an affair with. There you go. Okay, it That's happens. True. Sure, makes sense. I mean, I wouldn't tell any announcers that. This <laughs> <laughs> life, man. Yeah, but mm. so okay, so you go, you come all the way back from you lose your per- first professional fight, so you then get you win I think like ten, twelve in a row, and you get a chance to fight Tommy Morrison, yeah. who's the heavyweight champ. Yeah. But he was getting set to fight Lennox Lewis for eight point five million dollars. A lot uh, of money you, back you there. Fuck, you fucked some shit up. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you were the, the bum that was supposed to come in and be a punching <laughs> right, bag. Right, yes, that's so. right. Cat, um, there was one uh, reporter who um, um, defined or classified the fighter or defined me as cannon fighter. Really? I, I've never heard that before. Yeah, I'm not really like, sure what you know, that means, yeah, to be honest. Just like, just like, you know, like, like um, ammunition. Okay. You know, like test ammunition. Sure. You know, and... Uh, the way that uh, that fight came about was Mike Katz, who was a great uh, New York City, New York Daily News reporter for the Daily News, just covered me as an amateur. Sure. And um, he was the one who was uh, who uh, was responsible for making that fight. Mike Katz and uh, uh, not Jim Jacobs, but uh, Bill Caton, okay. who was Tommy's manager at the time, were on a phone call, and they were. Caton uh, mentioned to Katz that um, HBO had a an open date for a tune-up fight for Tommy prior to his fight with Lance Lewis. Okay. Right? And they, like, you know, named, uh, they were, like, throwing out names back and forth, back and forth, and uh, Mike was like, well, how about my guy, Michael Ben? How about giving him a shot? Yeah? And uh, my, my manager was Stan Hoffman, mm-hmm. who was uh, really close with Bob Arum, and uh, um, Bill Caton turned the fight down. So no, 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 really? No, 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 no. We don't want him. Wow. Yeah. Because he like he know my background as sure. an amateur. Although I got knocked out once, like you know, my first pro fight, like I was still like you know dangerous, mm-hmm. quote unquote dangerous. Sure. Smile with you, man. The whole field, like you know, you get a reputation. People talk. Sure. And uh, so Tommy heard of like you know the fact that my name was in the conversation, and that I don't know who else was in that uh, uh, list of guys to pick, but like he said, no, 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 no. no. I want Michael Bent because as an amateur, you know, I was a, I was a star. Sure. And like uh, like uh, Evander Holyfield once said that 
you make your reputation as an amateur. Okay. You know, and even though Tommy was a star, there was some resentment that, like, you know, he had to deal with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I was a guy. He wasn't a guy. Yeah. It's like when you're the kid in high school and there's the popular kid and then you see him, like, 10 years later. You're like, fuck that guy, that's man. Right. Yeah. That's right. I get just asked to, like, you know, bust his behind, like, expose him on national TV in front of my home people. Oh, yeah, let's do it. So we signed Luxo. So he pushed for the fight. Not wow. Kate, you know. And, uh, yeah, man, uh, um, about, uh, about three months, four months before when Tommy fought George Foreman, mm-hmm. uh, Stan Hoffman, my manager, and I went to, went to that fight. It was in Vegas. And Stan turns to me and said, whoever, whoever wins this fight, you're going to be fighting them. Right? And, like, you know, on the outside, I'm enthusiastic. On the outside, I'm sure. enthusiastic. I stand over this. My side. asshole with this tight dude. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, sure, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't want to fight him? Yeah. I mean, no. I don't want to be exposed like that. Sure. The fighting part, okay, like, that's the result. You sure. know what I mean? Um, but here, I'm like, <sighs> I never said that, though. Yeah. You know, I couldn't express that. Boxers can't express that. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be like, you know, the, what's that term that Mike Tyson used? Uh, 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 impenetrable? Sure. No. Don't want to fade nah, into oblivion. Yeah, nah, that stuff, dude, yeah. That's a lie, money. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. You know, and fear, like it, I've learned that fear keeps you alert. Sure. Period. Okay. And it can paralyze you or just keep you alert. You know, so the the fight was made and um I must say this like you know, not to be arrogant, man, like you know, that's a that's a great ninety six seconds of like, you know, work, man. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh the fight with Tommy. I get hurt and you know, I come back and like it you know, I'm I'm you know, I'm and I can I can describe like I can take you through like, you know, a, a moment by moment, second by second, like, you know, um uh um uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, like emotional. Sure, sure, sure. You know, uh, uh, analysis of like you know those moments. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that um, I was talking to uh, this guy the other day, and I said that um, I've been um, when I watch the fight now. Sometimes I'll go back and watch the fight, and when I see the look in Tommy's eyes, I feel sorry for him, man. Really? But yeah, yeah. I have like I have compassion for him. Because I know what he's going through. He's like, holy shit. What did I get myself into? Yeah. In front of my hometown fans? Yeah. There's the, I couldn't imagine the depth of, of no, I, I can't imagine. Sure. The depth of, 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 uh, of, um, of, of self-loathing sure. that he's experiencing right now. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, so, man. So you knock him out, you're the heavyweight champ. Didn't feel like it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Because right. in the movie, in the documentary, yeah. did you say that you felt like, like, I mean, you were obviously jacked up for that fight, but that there was, I don't want to say like an, like an emptiness, but it was right. like you didn't feel like this, is, this was really you or whatever, right? Um, I, felt like, I felt like uh, it, was, uh, it was all false. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I ever said that before, but like, you know, it's, uh, it, it, didn't, it, didn't, it didn't make me complete. Okay. You know, it didn't fulfill me, you know, because uh, once again, when you've experienced, like, you know, losing to Ray Mercer in, in the Olympic trial, box off, like, and that pain, when, you've, when you know you beat him, mm-hmm. you know, and he confirmed that you beat him because uh, just going back to the Olympics, uh, Olympic trials, 
after after uh, the last round uh, rings for the uh, box off, Ray turns to me and says, "Well, Mike, I gotta get, I gotta see you again tomorrow night." I'm okay. Like, Goddamn right. Yeah, I nailed it. You know, but but you never know, and I was never comfortable. You know, the way I was introduced to the game, I was never comfortable with like you know, with like uh, the uh, uh, adulation, exactly. even like winning four Golden Gloves. You know, five national championships. Like it, it was special to me. But if someone like you know came up to me and said, "Okay, hey, Mike, you're great," I'm like, "I'm like, okay, great, thank you." Yeah. I don't believe it. I wouldn't tell them that, but like you know, like, that was my attitude. I don't believe it, man. You know, thank you, but you know, now if a little boy or girl comes up to me, that's pure. Sure, sure, sure. That's, that's a whole different thing. Okay. You know what I mean? But like yeah. you know, adults can be full of shit. Interesting. You know. Okay. So what? So what is it? So. You win I'm not that saying fight. You're full of shit, but no, like, yeah, yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> you get okay. what I'm saying, I, man. I get that all the time. Yeah. Uh, no, but so, like, so, where do you go from there? You're the heavyweight champ. You obviously, at some point, have to defend the title. Right. But did you want to <laughs> step away? Did you want to? The, the only reason why I kept fighting was, you know, this, this was my chance to like make up for the money that, like, you know, I should have made. Sure, 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 makes sense. And, like, you know, you know, there was good money to be made, mm-hmm. and um, so, you know, um, fight Tommy Morrison beat him mm-hmm. uh um you know and let me say this man like you know the guy i lost to uh jerry jones i met him i bumped into him in a uh in a uh, a bookstore okay. when, I, when we were both training with a van holyfield and he gave me a gift mm-hmm. you know when uh, uh jerry jones gets to the camp i'm giving jerry jones like 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 cold i'm giving him ice right because like you know i don't want to be in the same like space as the guy who humiliated me, sure, who Makes exposed sense. me, right? Makes sense, yeah. And uh, I would avoid him like the plague. Mm-hmm. So I'm in this bookstore, and I look up, who I see walking by, Jerry Jones. Wow. He looks at me. I turn my head like this. Fuck I'm yeah. like, you know, I'm, I feel inferior around him. Of course, right? sure, it makes sense. He comes in. I'm getting chills right now, champ. Wow. I'm getting chills, man. Holy shit. But you know, you know, we live in this moment, sure. man. And he looks across the book aisle at me. He says, uh, "Baby, uh, he, he calls me a uh, young blood." Okay, okay. Blood. Yeah, right? probably thirty so at like, that point. Yeah. Right, yeah. like yo, young blood. Let me talk to you, man. So I walk around, you know, and he says, uh, "You know, when I fought you, the only reason uh, why I won is because I got you before you got me." And a light bulb. Well, he said, "No, boxers don't say that to each other." Sure, sure, sure. And he didn't say that with aggression or arrogance. He said that with love, man. Yeah. And I felt that. I'm like, damn. Like you know, where were you? Were you the champ at that point? No, no, no. no, I was like, this is when we uh, maybe like two and a half years before I fought Tommy Morrison. Okay, okay. This is when we were in training camp with Evander Holyfield. And that's another thing that gave you the push of like, I, uh, I got that's this. That's right. Yeah. Like, you know, and he gave me a gift once again, like, because boxers do not ever, like, extend, like, an emotional olive branch or mm-hmm. or emotional, like, you know, uh, hand up to other boxers. We don't. And Jerry Joe says to me, nah, Brady, check us out. I only won because I got you before you got me. Wow. I mean, looking back now, like, fuck, man. Yeah. That's, and, like, you know, me and Jerry Jones are good, great friends to this day, man. That's great. Great friends, bro. You know? And he, like, you know, if not for, if not for him, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sitting here right now talking to you. Really? I, yeah, I can say that. 
Okay. Honestly, yep. Interesting, okay. Yep. So we'll just fast forward here a little bit. Yeah. We've already been talking for almost an hour, which is awesome. <laughs> no, this is great. This is great. So your first title defense, yeah. um, there's a guy named Herbie Hyde who's yes. in England. Yes. Uh, and you go over there, and it uh, <laughs> doesn't really go well. It doesn't go well at all, man. You know, I uh, – Was um, that the fight – there was one fight in the movie where you say you're hoping that the whole city blacks out or something like that. Was that that fight or was that a different no, fight? No, no, that was uh, – I fight. said that uh, – um, uh, when we sh- uh, when we were when I said that I was uh, um, speaking about my amateur career. Oh, okay, okay. And pro career. Sure, sure, sure. You know, but every time I fought, like you know, as a high level amateur or a local amateur, like you know, I'm always thinking, God damn, when the fucking lights go out, man. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to do this thing. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. And that feeling never left me. Wow. I never expressed it though because sure. I couldn't. I mean, what do you mean? What the lights that go out, man? You sucker. Man up. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know what that means, bro. Man up. Tell me what that means. Yeah. Have I you manned up? Any like it? Have you manned up? Mr. Coach? Expert guy? Have you manned up? Okay. Then shut yeah. up, man. But I'm thinking that, like, you know, that's that's internal dialogue. Sure. You know what I mean? Okay. Yeah. So you, you lose to Herbie Hyde. Yeah. First title defense. But here's the crazy part. So people – we're ruining the movie, by the way. If you want to watch <laughs> the movie, whatever. But I just find this fascinating and I'm enjoying right. it, so fuck it. Yeah, um, <laughs> Gotcha. So you go into a coma, uh, a literal coma. 96 hours, man. 96 hours, okay. So one, you wake up, but then two, the part that stuck with me was that your dad basically alluded something to the effect of like uh, – Make him die. Yeah, let him die, yeah. Fucking Jamaicans, man. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I know. Uh, let me take that back. Not all Jamaicans are that um, unreflective. Sure. You know, uh, I've met some Jamaicans who are like super, super self-reflective. You know, and uh, my dad's like, a, like, you know, and I get where that comes from. You know, um, the trust um, harboring, you know, this and, um, you know, my father is a functional illiterate. Mm-hmm. Can't read or write. Okay. His father took him out of school when he was younger. And uh, his father was named Michael Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and uh, so there's, there's a lot of stuff there that uh, he hasn't dealt with. And, like, and I empathize with that. But once again, as I told you earlier, man, like, just because I, I can empathize with you, but I, can, I don't have to like you. Sure. You know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he said that. He said, uh, um, you know, in Jamaica, met the blood clot where I die. Whoa. Yeah. Do you um, – well, I want to get back to your dad in a minute. But yeah. so you come out of the coma, but mm-hmm. basically the doctor tells you if you ever fight again, you could die in the ring. Is that, like, an f- accurate description? I have something in here that I always – well, well. That carried me. It's the uh, 1995 medical report from uh, from Cedar Sinai Hospital in New York. Okay. When I got back from England, I was supposed to get a checkup at this doctor, and all that information is like, wow. And I always keep that with me. Okay. When I'm traveling. So yeah, I you know I was restricted from boxing again. Okay. So basically, you're forced to retire. Yeah. Uh, you're finally out of the sport. Mm-hmm. That you've kind of really wanted to have been out of for right. like twenty plus years at That's this right. point. That's right. So you're forced out um, because of the injury. I'm just trying to think of where to take this because now, so the end of this story is that you become critically acclaimed actor. You're Will Smith. I, I, I said, listen, I'm a critic. <laughs> okay. 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 So you're you. so you're an actor. Right. You trained Will Smith for yeah. Ali. Yeah. You've trained Clint Eastwood for yeah. uh, Million Dollar, Dollar Baby. Yeah. Yeah. 
So how does that come about? So you go from dude that got knocked out that literally your dad's like, I don't care if he lives, to yeah. like critically acclaimed actor. That's a very good question, dude. Yeah. Uh, and the part about like, you know, my dad not caring, like, this is not for me, but like, this is for like young people. Sure. Or people like, you know, dealing with like, you know, family and domination, blah, blah. It's not about dad anymore. It's not about mom anymore. Mm-hmm. It's about like, you know, what you want to achieve in your life. Yeah. How long did it take you to realize that? I only, I only realized this, um, I think like, you know, the components were there sure. from, from like, you know, when I was like nine years old, 10 years old, when I confronted my, when I confronted my father, but like, you know, um, I think, you know, the, uh, the, um, the dots got connected when I made, uh, when I met, um, like, uh, acting coaches. My first professor, uh, was in a, uh, I mean, my first acting coach was a professor, uh, when I returned to school at uh, Northampton Community College in Pennsylvania. Okay, so you this, so after you retire, you moved to Pennsylvania. Yeah, I bought a house in the Poconos, and uh, I was reading. Uh, and I was I was bored. I had some money. I was like, you know, driving back and forth to New York, drinking and you know, um, you know, dating different women. Blah sure. blah blah. And uh, I read this book one day. Uh, um, makes me want to holler. Makes me want to holler, which was by. Which is by uh, Nathan McCall, about this kid, 17 years old, gets locked up in uh, Virginia and becomes a writer. I'm like, I could do that. Huh, okay. So I was doing commentary overseas and I was training one of uh, Stan Hoffman's fighters uh, overseas as well. So we, so we're in, um, we're in uh, uh, Holland. We're in Holland and uh, um, one of the reporters that covered me from a British newspaper, they flew over to see, like, you know, do, like, a uh, what are they doing now piece, you know, while I'm in Holland. And uh, I walk into this uh, this uh, this restaurant, uh, and this reporter says to me, Michael, you, you know, you're not happy, are you? I'm like, no, I'm not, not at all. That's the first thing he said to me. I'm like, no, I'm not, man. He's like, well, what do you want to do? What you're doing? Right. Like a yeah. writer? Yeah, I'm okay. like, okay, yeah. He said, well, start doing it. And, uh, Went back to uh, to um, uh, PA, started writing. You know, enrolled in this uh, community college, and I would like you know sneak into their uh, <laughs> their lab computer room, <laughs> just like stuff banging out pieces, man. Like, and I mean, just as an exercise, I had no idea what I was doing. Sure, of course. You know what I mean? Uh, but I knew, like, you know, I knew, like, you know, what moved me as a reader, and like, you know, I would always have this mantra, like, you know, write the truth, just like Spike Lee writes a film. What the fuck that meant? Like, <laughs> sure. Like, okay, great. You know, and um, the first the first piece I had published was a uh, piece that uh, Michael uh, Katz um, put his stamp on, his stamp of appro- put his stamp of approval on, and like he had run in the daily uh, in the uh, daily news for me, and uh, that got the attention of Bert Sugar, and uh, I started writing uh, numerous uh, articles for his magazine, Bert Sugar's Fight Game, and I wrote um, Anatomy of a Knockout. Yeah, um, which which was like you know, which got the attention of uh, uh, Ron Shelton. Okay, Ron Shelton. And he was a big boxing fan, right? Ron Shelton. That, that's right. Yes. He's, what is director, producer, something like director, that? Director, director, okay. writer. And without Ron, man, like you know, that death. We're not having this conversation, man. So Ron Shelton, the famous uh, director, yes. reads one of your articles yes. in this magazine. Ron's a big boxing fan. Okay. Yes, and yeah. uh, but like the thing about <laughs> the interesting thing about this whole like you know, the the article, I never wanted to write it. You know, Bert assigned me the office and Michael, I have something that's for you that only you can write. I'm like, okay, great. 
Lizardburg. Oh, take the audience into the world of getting knocked out and knocking someone out. I'm like, fuck me, yeah. dude. You know, I mean, you know, I wasn't acting. Yeah, yeah, I was acting then. It's like, you know, acting and writing, like, you know, it's a similar process. It's lonely after, and you have to dig. Yeah. Right? And, like, I don't do anything halfway. So I knew that, like, you know, I had to find that damn Herbie Hyde tape and put it in the VCR and watch it. Because if I'm going, if, if I'm going to write about and a boxer getting knocked out, I got to make it very personal. Mm-hmm. It's me. It's how I got knocked out. And I, how, you know, how I knock people out. You know, the how I got knocked out being the first of, like, you know, those two components, right? And uh, I watched the tape, man, and I was scared to watch it. That's the only way that I got to write the piece, yeah? And while watching the piece, you know what happened to me? I felt liberated, man. Mm-hmm. I felt liberated. Sure. Like, wow. I survived it. Yeah. And now I'm working with Bert Sugar, and he's asked me to write about it. Man, write the damn piece, man. Yeah. Write the piece. And uh, there was still, like, you know, I was still, like, you know, going back and forth with it, going back and forth with it. And Bert invited me to a, a Golden Glove uh, match. He said, Michael, meet me at the garden, blah, blah, blah. Demanded, right? So I went there. And this little, I see Bert. <laughs> their backs are, their backs are uh, you know, to me. And this little white-haired guy is standing next to him and whatnot, man. And this guy turns around and says, Michael, he gets in my face and Michael, write the fucking, fucking piece, right? And... This, that old guy was uh, was Bud Schul- was Bud o- Sh- that old guy was Bud Schulberg. Okay. Bud Schulberg, uh, the Academy Award winner of um, of, uh, of uh, Ilya Kazan's uh, On the Waterfront. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you look up Bud Schulberg, he's like, holy shit, that's Bud Schulberg, man. He was he, he was like, got my shit, right the fucking piece. Went home, bro. Hopped on a chain, locked myself in my uh, sister's room for like two days, man. Banged out the piece. And. That and was it. Anatomy of Knockout. And that changed my life. Really? Yeah. And Ron Shelton saw it. Exactly. Ron saw it. Uh, Ron got in contact with, uh, with uh, a friend of mine. I was training this young man. His name was Michael Sacklerburner. Uh-huh. And Michael's father and his mom, like, you know, had the, was going through, like, you know, separation. And his dad, like, you know, said, hey, like, you know, work on my son. Like, just, like, you know, just, just, you know, just be a friend and train him. You know what I mean? So we connected, me and this young kid, man. He's 12-year-old. Michael was like 12 years old at the time, man. And uh, I needed that myself. You know, okay. I wasn't like, you know, that wasn't just for Mike, but like, I needed that. You know, that, that, that sense of sharing. Because sure. like, you know, I was lost. I hadn't started acting yet. No, I, I was acting, but like, you know, I was, I was, you know, finding a space. And um, so Ron knew uh, um, Fred Burner, and they just connected those dots for me. And I got out to L.A. and Michael, man, hired me. The Pope. Wow. Yeah. And was that where you got linked up with Ali? Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. Was Ron Shelton doing that? I don't even know. Uh, no, no. He wasn't doing it, but like, you know, after he read the piece, uh, he said, um, uh, we uh, had a phone call. He called me and he said that, uh, you know, if you can, if you can uh, uh, act like you can write, come out to LA, I can get you, can, you know, with a, I get you a, a look for maybe training well or, you know, being a part of the production. I didn't know. I didn't know what they had in mind, you know. But uh, my thing was like, dude, get me out to Ellie and I can train Will Smith. Sure. To beat Muhammad Ali. You know, and uh, 
How long was that process? Like, like to actually, from the first time you met with Will? Six months. Okay. Six months, yeah. But what was he like as a boxer a s- well, or I mean, fighter or whatever? I mean, he was fierce, man. He was, he was fearless. Okay. Because Michael Mann, like, you know, you know, he's a guy who's all about authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if Michael Mann, like, you know, hires a, a, uh, a gun expert, like, you know, this, this guy's a pro. Sure. So Michael, like, is, is, is strictly by the books. Authenticity. He hired all former heavyweight champions to be Will Smith's uh, trainers and opponents in the film. Okay. You know, James Tony played uh, uh, Joe Frazier. I played Sonny Liston. This goes on and on and on, and uh, so that was, you know, that was Michael's level of of, of education for Will. Okay. You know, Michael had a special word for that, uh, his curriculum for like Will's preparation, man. I mean, Mike, me and uh, uh, Mike saw Michael yesterday. Okay. And you don't barge in, you don't just like, you know, show up at a Michael man. We didn't make any appointments, man. The guy saw us, like do this, this. I mean, this, this guy's special, man. Interesting. I mean, whew, yeah. Love that dude, man. You know, but like all those guys, like I'm, you know, I, I mean, I'm talking about me, but like, dude, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm nowhere without the mentors who believed in me along this damn journey. Sure. I mean, I'm nowhere, dude. Yeah. Um. So you played Sonny Liston, though. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I yeah. Uh, I know a little bit about Sonny Liston. Yeah. He was like a crazy, like yeah. he had a wild background. Yeah. Right? Yep. Was it like yep. abandoned? Something? He was the twenty fourth of twenty five children from his father. His father, wow. like you know, would beat him uh, 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 relentlessly. Sure. And I could, okay, I connect to that. You know, uh, uh, when I uh, found out out that I was auditioning for the role of Sonny Liston, I was in New York, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I was acting then. Like, check us out. Like, I need to, like, you know, I need to when I get to L.A. I need to. Uh, Michael made the C Sonny Liston. So I went to a barber shop. I had the picture of Sonny Liston to check the dude, like, you know, made me look like this. Trim my mustache, cut my hair like Sonny, blah, blah, blah. Went to a uh, thrift store, got like, you know, uh, 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 um, a 1960s, like, you know, th- uh, um, uh, suit that resembles something that Sonny would uh, wear. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And walked into Michael Mann's office and, you know, he's. He didn't smile because Michael never smiles. Sure. You know, but like you know, you got like you know that uh, that uh, that uh, unsaid stamp of approval. Wow. Just like you know, hey, have a seat. Let me talk to you. You know, you look like the guy, but like you know, let me see where your head's at. We had a conversation about England. You know, Jamaica. My parents are from. You know, uh, uh, what I like to read. You know, um, and uh, then we heard a voice outside, and it was Will Smith. Okay. I didn't recognize the voice, but Michael did. And Michael said, hey, let's go outside and say hi to Will. Okay. And Will saw me. Wow. <laughs> he saw me. And, uh, you know, I was, I'm was i in Sonny Liston mode. Sure. You know, the attire, the haircut, the hair. And uh, Will starts going off to me as, as Sonny Liston. Wow. You ugly bear, I'm a whoopie, blah, blah. And I grab his arm like this. Wow. And Michael Mann's like, you got the role. Take down Ving Rhames' picture. You got the role. <laughs> I swear to God. That's funny. Like, I mean, I mean, I was being raised for this thing. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I, and I saw Ving uh, maybe uh, a week or so later at a boxing gym because mm-hmm. I had to move to L.A. and, like, you know, set up shop, and now I'm training Will, right? And I saw uh, a Ving Reigns at a uh, boxing gym, man, 
and he said to me, man, man, thank you. Uh, no, he said, congratulations on your role. Good for you, bro. He said, do yourself a favor. Every chance you get, every off weekend you get, take a drive down to Las Vegas where Sonny Liston is buried and, like, you know, just sense him. Interesting. Connect with him. Okay. And I would do that every weekend. Wow. Every off weekend, I'd drive down to Vegas, go into the uh, the uh, um, the uh, uh, cemetery where Sonny is buried, and uh, just he has he has like you know um, it doesn't even say well it says Sonny listen on the gravestone but like you know the uh, the main part of the of the grave says a man. Okay. That's it. Wow. And I would like you know to sit. They had uh, a bench across from it. I I sit just talk with the cat. You know, and that 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 was that helped me prof profoundly in preparation for that thing, man. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. So you got to run here in a minute, and we've been talking here for yeah. a while. But real quick, I mean, what have you been? I mean, you obviously you've been doing a lot of different stuff, but you're yeah. actor, director, all that stuff. Yeah. So I would ask you, like, what have you been working on recently besides the Netflix stuff? But then also, and I think I think I know the answer to this, but I'm guessing that right. writing, acting, directing, all that stuff gives you a fulfillment that boxing probably didn't is that fair to say correct correct yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely yeah you can even in see it in the film when they transition to that portion of your life you can see the lights yeah exactly yeah, man. it's 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 uh there's 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 nothing like that because like you know boxing is it's 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 uh it's just as solitary as writing or directing or acting is but like you know you're not getting anything for it sure you're not getting anything from it Mm -hmm. You know, um, uh, but like acting, you know, I mean, you get, you're always, conti you're continually learning, man. You know what I'm saying? And you may have some, like some acting teachers who are complete, like, you know, like monsters, but they're learning, you know, um, and they're, and they're sharing stuff with you. I mean, you know, we all have fucked up days, good and bad. Sure. You know, but like, you know, the, the, uh, in boxing, man, there's, there's, I don't see, there are benefits to it, you know, but um, it, it's not it's not a, a tool that we use um, to uh, humanize one another. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I've been in that in that darkness for so long that I'm just trying to be a human being. Yeah. And like you know, acting, directing, writing that that allows me that space to be a human being. Very good. Are you working on any projects right now, or what are you? I'm doing? actually uh, in developments uh, with uh, with a uh, with a young man. What? Well, uh, a young man, a gentleman to do a uh, a TV show. Okay. In the world of uh, amateur boxing and uh, like football. a reality show. No, no, oh. it's a scripted. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can't like you know. Yeah, like, yeah, it's okay. It's no, okay. no, but like it's yeah, it's gonna be exciting, man. Awesome. Yeah. Couple last questions. I w I have to ask because I think a lot of people who've seen the documentary are curious. Yeah. Have you? Is your dad still alive? Is yeah, yeah, yeah. The last time I spoke with him was uh, I had a friend of mine uh, uh. Said to me, Mike, like his father's day, you got to call your father. And I really respect this cat. You know, I mean, I'm like, okay, all right, cool. You know, he's What's that? Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, you know, so, so I respect this cat, man. So I called him, man, and uh, I, uh, the immediate thought that went, um, of course, my mind was, man, why the hell I had to call a student, man? I don't, you know, it's, 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 it, there's nothing there. Sure. You know, um, but but yet and still, like you know, it's it's uh it's uh we don't speak, 
Yeah. There's nothing to speak about. Sure. You know, if he can't say like, you know, look, you know, I I'm sorry for for like, you know, how I behaved when you were, you know, small or young, blah blah. Like, you know, I mean, then what's the talk about, man? Like, I've forgiven you because if yeah. I don't forgive you, then I will remain damaged for life. Sure. And like, I agree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I don't know how long I'm going to be here. I don't want to be fucked up for life. Sure. I have a son. And I don't want him to like, you know, learn that from me. You know, so. I have to be selfish, like you know, with uh, with uh, the uh, the time that uh, I interact with them. Have uh, has you? Is that Larry Merchant? No, I don't think so. It does kind of look like him, though. Yeah. Yeah, but I yeah. don't know. Well, well, we can yeah, ask yeah, after. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um. So you've have you told him like you f- you forgive him or not even? No, I mean, uh, that's not a conversation that like you know I think I even ha- have to have with him. Sure. You know because like you know we had a confrontation. Uh, um, I had a friend, dear friend. <laughs> His friend is gone now, but he like you know I'll never forget this dude. But he said, Mike, you know, it's a short story. Yeah. He said, Mike, you know you're a beautiful cat. This is when I first got out to LA. Maybe. A few years after I got out to L.A., you know, you're a beautiful cat, man, but, like, you know, you got something that you're not dealing with as an actor. Oh, okay. <sighs> yeah. But, man, so because I, I know what I'm not dealing with as an actor. Yeah. There's a person I, I despise. Sure. Like, you know, but, like, you know, that's great stuff to pull from, right? Yeah. Creatively. But see, he's like, no, we have to, like, you have to get, our, get in touch with him and reach out to him. So I, I say, Dad, like, you know, I'm in California, blah, blah, blah. Why don't you come on out? This like you know, so I come out. So he comes out, and I uh, you know meet him at the airport, and I grab his bag and shit. And right away, I, I know this is not a good fucking idea, bro. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, two days like it. I'm like, you no, know, he's there for like three or four days, and my friend got him tickets. Uh, got us tickets to a fight with Roy Jones, and my father's like, you know, there's a super gregarious guy with like a with like a quicksilver temper. You know what yeah. I mean? So you gotta, you gotta be careful with him. And um, he's just behaving like, you know, like the guy who I fucking hate. Sure. You know, he's like, it's all about him. Yep. You know, want to be seen and blah, blah, blah. And like, he, he grabs Roy Jones like as Roy Jones is coming to enter the ring. You don't yeah. fucking grab a, grab a guy who's going to fight for a championship, man. What's yeah. wrong with you? I'm saying this on the inside. It's my inst- you know, internal dialogue, right? Of course. So, uh, yeah, it's Larry Merchant. Yeah. We'll go talk to him after. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, so, long story short, man, we're going down um, the escalator, and he's like, you know, we had like a little tiff. Uh-huh. We're going, we're leaving this uh, VIP party after f- after fight party. And we're going down the escalator, and he's yelling at me, like in Jamaican, like fucking cursing at me. I'm your father, blah 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 blah. And I hit the goddamn pavement off the escalator, <laughs> and I turned. And he hits to the uh, escalator as well. And I turn and say, shit, man, shut the fuck up, B. No one fucking likes you. I'm not motherfucking Marvin Gaye. I will fuck you up. Because my father would say to his sons, me and my, me and my brother, that if, if, if we had ever disrespected him, he would shoot us like wow. Marvin Gaye's father did. You, remember, you know who Marvin Gaye is, right? Of course, yeah. His father popped him. And my father would tell us that. If, like in Jamaican, you know, if any of us... If, if me and my brother ever disrespected him, he would shoot us like Marvin Gaye's father did. And I was like, nah, motherfucker, I am not Marvin Gaye. I will fuck you up, man. Wow. And I saw fear in his eyes. I saw fear in his eyes for the first time in my life. Yeah. Fear. I believe it. Fear. And I walked, like, you know, I didn't feel anything. Yeah. You know, 
and I wasn't like you know repressing anything. Yeah. Like whatever comes up comes up. You know, I taught. You know, I was learned. I was taught that in acting. Like you know, just like big. I mean, human beings have shit. Whatever comes up comes up. You know, if I started crying, like if I felt remorseful, none of that came up. Look, man. Yeah, that's where it is. Get in the fucking car. I'm driving you to the airport because, like, you know, you know. As a matter of fact, my friend's going to like, you know, check you into the hotel because you can't read or write. Mm-hmm. I'm not holding that against you, but like, you know, fuck you. So I went back to my uh, apartment, got his bags. My buddy, like, you know, walked him into the hotel room. And my buddy comes out, and uh, <laughs> he comes out, gets in my truck, and uh, he says to me, uh, my friend Artie. He says to me, Mike, uh, your father must know what happened to you. I oh, grew up, yeah. Oh, right. I'm not oh, nine years old anymore. Now he's a victim. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, oh, come on, man. Yeah. I'm like, Artie. Now, my guy Artie also had, like, you know, a friction with his parents. You know, so he could, we would talk about that. So he got it. You know, so uh, now my dad's playing the victim. Yeah. You know, I'm like, dude, check this out. Then he had these women, like, you know, call me, blah, blah, blah. You know, Mike, like, women who he's banging. You yeah. know, on the side of the still like, you know, oh, my stepmother, right? Yeah. He's banging these chicks like, you know, I'm like, check us out, sweetie. I don't fucking know you. Yeah. Don't ever call me again. If my father wants to talk to me, he can call me. Yeah. Sure. Don't take up for him. What's that about? Fair enough. Well, fuck you. Fuck him. Sure. Right. Anything else about the movie itself? I mean, you were talking. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 it's okay. No, it's yeah. okay. Because I, I did want to ask you that. Yeah. But uh, anything else about the experience? I mean, I assume it's the reactions have been really good. All that. It's been humbling, man. Yeah. And and like I mean, we all once again, everyone wants like you know, um, to be seen and heard. Sure. And this has given me a chance to be seen and heard in a major way, and I've gotten. You know, we've gotten like, you know, hits or, you know, messages from people from all over the world. And I really appreciate it. You know, it's 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 helping me grow. Do you, you feel know? are you happy that like the impact that you've had? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's very gratifying. But like, you know, in saying that, I know that there's there's more work to be done. Sure. Because like, you know, with with uh, with um, um, with great gifts come great responsibility, man. Yeah. You know, and though, like, although I say, like, you know, fuck my father, like, you know, I'm in a space where I can say that, like, you know, ooh, you yeah. know, you know, some some people may not be ready for that, and that's okay. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta make that okay. You know, um, you have to find a safe space to like you know, express that, how you want to express why what you you have to express in a safe space because it's dangerous. Interesting. You know, yeah. I'm not saying be like me. No, 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 no. Find your own place. No, you I, know I mean? in space. Yeah. Make it safe. I'm going to let you go. This was fun. You got to oh, roll. Man. There's actually somebody behind us that you want to probably say hi to. Yeah. So, wow. Uh, so, wow. Michael Bent, former heavyweight champ. The show is called Losers. <laughs> yes. Uh, the miscast champ. Yeah, the That's miscast it. champ. A, yep. Congratulations yep. on all your Thank success, you, man. man. This was so fun. I Thank truly you. appreciate it. Uh, and we My will man. Uh, Love, man. we'll do this again when the, whenever this show comes out again. We, whenever it. your next show comes out, yes, you'll sir. come back and we'll do it. Okay? You got it. Absolutely. Right. Thank you. Oh, man. Thank you, brother.